Hello and welcome back to the Ultrasound Gel Podcast. I'm Mike Pratz and today we have a very special guest. I am joined by Matt Recinti, Chief Resident of the Kings County SUNY Downstate Residency and co-founder of the POCUS Atlas. Matt, how are you doing today? I'm doing great. Happy to be here. Yeah, and we are so excited to have you here. Matt and Mike Macias started this project two years ago, and it has been an incredible resource. So we're excited to have him on the show to talk about it, and especially with the advent of the newer Evidence Atlas. So, Matt, how did this all get started? Tell me the story. So this got started uh, because basically when I was learning ultrasound for the first time, I realized that there was no good way to find really good examples of both normal pathology and abnormal pathology. And we basically saw this need. Mike and I both independently saw this need. Um, And via the ultrasound podcast guys, uh, I kind of pitched this idea to them. And they were like, you know, we, you know, we're kind of busy. But this guy, Mike Macias, uh, halfway across the country has a similar idea that he's starting to work on. And uh, they kind of united us and we got started. Let's talk a little bit about what the POCUS Atlas is in case there's anybody out there who hasn't actually gone to the website or experienced or otherwise been engaged with this resource. Yeah, so um, the POCUS Atlas, so Point of Care Ultrasound Atlas, is a collaborative education project where we create, share, and curate free ultrasound education material. And overall, our goal is to improve the way POCUS is taught on a global scale. Um, We do this by providing really well-designed, accessible, easy-to-share education material, um, basically using really common technology this day and age. So, you know, our images are GIFs, we use Twitter, we use social media. Um, And uh, our first project, uh, the Image Atlas, or the POCUS Image Atlas, uh, is basically a crowdsourced collaborative collection of rare, exemplary, and perfectly captured ultrasound images. Um, We crowdsource, uh, our, our, our simulators come from all across the world, um, and then we just choose the best clips, convert them to GIFs, and we ask that they create a caption that describes the case, the ultrasound findings, and then a little bit about the evidence behind the studies that they're doing. That is such a great idea. I've always thought it was brilliant to crowdsource this type of thing because, like you said, the pathology is what the learners often need to see in order to determine what is normal and what is abnormal, and that can be more rare. So I think it's really helpful that we're able to collect the unique pathologies that are seen from people around the world so that everybody can benefit from that. Right, right. And specifically, I remember just being like a new learner on Shift. You know, we do a million normals. We go and we search for an abnormal. Maybe it's Google Images or something. And you can't just get the study that you need. Like, you can't just get the right image. So this was created for that specific need to have, um, you know, moving images, the GIFs, um, done by point-of-care users. Um, and so you're not looking at, like, a radiologist interpretation or anything like that. We're, we're trying to answer the exact questions the point-of-care users are asking. So now, more recently, the Evidence Atlas came out. Tell us about that. Yeah, this is a really exciting project for us. Um, Briefly, the Evidence Atlas is a collection of infographics showcasing the test characteristics for the core point-of-care studies. Uh, So basically the widely most accepted studies uh, for point-of-care ultrasound. And uh, we wanted to basically provide uh, an evidence-driven approach to point-of-care ultrasound. 
you know, your podcast, this podcast, does an incredible job of doing deep dives into individual studies. Um, some of them are small studies. Some of them are like one or two sites. And we kind of wanted to look at, you know, broadly, what is the state of the evidence for point-of-care ultrasound? And we thought that the best way to do this would be to go back and look at systematic reviews and meta-analyses. That way we kind of have like this broad strokes, externally validated, studied over and over, evidence that we can use to kind of generalize for a population. Matt, I have to say I'm super excited by this idea. I mean, this is something that we've been building towards for a long time. At this point, we're fortunate enough that there's been enough research that we can do these systematic reviews and meta-analyses, and that's really a great thing for point-of-care ultrasound. I entirely agree with you that we need to continue to emphasize the evidence basis for doing point-of-care ultrasound. We can't just go out there and scan whatever we want to and assume that it's accurate, or worse, even not use it because we assume that it's inaccurate. So. I think that publicizing this to people, that there's now going to be an easy to access way to check on the accuracy and the evidence basis for a lot of these scans is really a game changer. So tell us a little bit about the format of the Evidence Atlas. So if you go to that website, which I believe you can reach at thepocusatlas.com, and from there you can navigate to the Evidence Atlas or the Image Atlas. Is that right, Matt? Correct. So if you were to go there, what sort of things do you do you find for the evidence atlas? Yeah, so similar to the image atlas, we broke everything down by organ systems, like general organ systems, and we created really, really easy to use, well-designed infographics showcasing the test characteristics of each study. Um, so for all the lung uh, pathology, so pneumothorax, pneumonia, etc., everything is grouped there together, and then you can go and there's individual infographics for each diagnosis. I've found that this resource is especially useful on shift when you're either teaching or doing ultrasound. You're wondering how good is this particular application of point-of-care ultrasound. You easily can go to the website, click on cardiac, scroll down to how well we can diagnose systolic function, and you can kind of see a good idea of the studies that have been done on this in the past. Yeah, and that's exactly how we intended to use it. So on shift or just preparing lectures, you can use this resource uh, for your each individual patient to help make decisions or maybe convince others of the evidence behind your study. And I like how you stuck with the more robust systematic reviews and meta-analyses. You know, on this, on the Ultrasound Gel podcast, we're into looking at newer applications or perhaps newer studies and ways to use ultrasound. And we have the caveat that everything that we review is just usually a single study. And though we try to incorporate some of the background research, at the end of the day, you can't base your practice on a single study, especially when the studies are fairly small numbers like we usually see in the point-of-care ultrasound research. So by taking kind of the best of the best, these well-done reviews that are looking at multiple studies and whether they pool their data or not, at least you get a feel for how accurate this modality actually is for those applications. So Matt, can you tell me a little bit about how you did the evidence atlas, how you kind of collected this data? Yeah, so as I mentioned, we started with basically systematic reviews and meta-analyses, and we pulled in a few bigger papers where, where it was needed. Um, from there, we critically appraised each review to make sure they were well done. And specifically, we did have some, you could call it inclusion and exclusion criteria. 
We really wanted reviews that were truly point of care, so we only included reviews that had EM doctors, intensivists, internists using point of care systems. Um, so any paper that looked at uh, the point of care study being done by a radiologist, an ultrasound tech, or a cardiologist, we generally didn't use. Um, and then something else that we found to be kind of a, a problem with some of these studies or reviews is that uh, we wanted them to clearly define the index test, so clearly defined the findings that they were looking for in point of care ultrasound. So an example being pneumothorax, um, we wanted them to say what findings they were looking for, right? There are so many. In the study we ultimately chose for pneumothorax, the paper clearly defined that they were looking for lack of lung slide and lack of comet tails as the definition. That way, when we plug it into the infographic, our audience will know exactly what findings uh, have been validated. Um, some of the papers did actually allow for different protocols. So if they use Volpicelli or if they use like different lung zones, we, we allowed for some um, variety in that, but we really wanted them to define what the index test was. And um, I was actually surprised how many of these systematic reviews didn't do that at all or did a very poor job at this. An example of a paper we ultimately didn't use was for pulmonary contusion, where um, I guess they kind of assume that everyone knows how to diagnose pulmonary contusion with ultrasound, but the truth is if you're not like really engaged in this and you're not doing that all the time, you might not know. Um, and they actually didn't really have any definition of what a pulmonary contusion was. And um, other papers just had a bunch of different definitions of the index test. So one, that's confusing and misleading because if we give a likelihood ratio for like a given diagnosis and there's like 10 different criteria and they're all different, one, the infographic would be crazy, unusable, and then two, it doesn't really reflect the reality, right? They just have a, a bunch of different likelihood ratios for each finding. So it sounds like you actually did a systematic review of the systematic reviews using your own criteria. Yeah, yeah, for sure. It, it, in a way, it was a systematic review of systematic reviews. And um, to be clear, there's actually a lot of evidence for doing this. The Prisma checklist is a tool that's usually used to do this. So we, we applied the Prisma checklist, and then we also just made sure, like, as ultrasonographers, that the studies made sense. Yeah, that's really great to have that clinical perspective as someone that actually uses the modality and not just, you know, for example, a librarian doing the systematic review. Yeah. And then the one other thing I'll mention, as any good study, uh, we wanted to make sure that the reference test, the gold standard, was appropriate and well-defined. Um, and I can think of one example for um, ultrasound for pneumothorax where the gold standard was chest x-ray. And we know that chest x-ray is not as good at ultrasound at detecting pneumothorax. So they had like these incredibly good results, but they were actually just detecting more pneumothorax with ultrasound than the chest x-ray. So that was a paper we couldn't use. The one we ultimately used used CT chest or release of air on chest tube placement, which we thought were appropriate gold standards. That's great. I, I really like that you actually delved into these reviews and made sure that they were performed appropriately so that you can have the highest quality evidence for us. So Matt, let's get into one of these. Maybe we can talk about the acute heart failure review that you did. Yeah, so we chose a few papers looking at heart failure and the different aspects of it. But my favorite one uh, is called Diagnosing Acute Heart Failure in the Emergency Department, a Systematic Review and Meta-Analysis by Martin Dell and her team. Um, and I really love this paper because this is like a bread and butter emergency medicine topic. Um, and it just happened that ultrasound ended up being really, really great for, for this diagnosis. Tell us a little bit about this meta-analysis and how they went about their research question. 
they did a systematic review and meta-analysis of essentially every single diagnostic component for heart failure. Um, they pooled all the test characteristics where they could, so talking about the sensitivity, specificities, and likelihood ratios, and they basically sought to figure out which was best. Um, like any good systematic review, they did a huge literature review on PubMed, etc. They went back all the way to 1965 looking at diagnostic tests. They actually reviewed 18,724 papers and in, ended up including 57 after all exclusions were made. This article obviously was a whole lot of work. I mean, they, they looked at articles regarding every part of the physical exam, every type of diagnostic test that you might use. And so it, this wasn't an art, this wasn't just a point of care ultrasound article. This was a, a huge endeavor to look at every possible way of diagnosing an acute heart failure exacerbation. And specifically, just to talk about the index tests they looked at, so elements of the history, elements of the physical exam, EKG, chest x-ray, BMP and pro-BMP, lung ultrasound, point-of-care echo, and bioimpedance. Um, and they were really rigorous about uh, the papers they chose. They only did adult ED populations, and they pretty much excluded anything that wasn't an ED provider doing the exams. Why don't you talk about the results? What did they find? Okay, so when they looked at all of these different uh, elements of the diagnosis, uh, there were some surprising findings. I mean, looking back at history and physical, they found that pretty much no aspects of the history were meaningful. They found that the only physical exam finding with any uh, utility was an S3 Gallup, which actually had a positive likelihood ratio of 4, but was extremely insensitive, 13%. Um, and nothing in history and physical could actually uh, lower the likelihood of the diagnosis of heart failure. They concluded that bedside echo and lung ultrasound ended up being two of the most uh, powerful uh, tests that can be done for bedside echo using ejection fraction determined by visual estimation. They uh, pooled a likelihood ratio, positive likelihood ratio of 4.1. Um, and then for lung ultrasound, uh, lung ultrasound actually ended up being the most powerful test here. Um, if they had uh, diffuse pulmonary edema on lung ultrasound, they found a positive likelihood ratio of 7.4. And to be clear, uh, they define this well. They defined it as greater than or equal to three B lines in two bilateral lung f lung zones. Great, and also it had a pretty good negative likelihood ratio too, right? Zero point one six. So that suggests that it could even be used to rule out acute heart failure. Well, any sort of limitations of this study? I mean, what can we just take this straight to the bedside, or the other things to consider? Yeah, um, there are some limitations, and I actually think. Um, well, I actually think one of the biggest limitations is kind of inherent in uh, heart failure research. Um, the gold standard is uh, kind of amorphous. There's no gold standard for heart failure. It ends up being um, judication. So basically people sit around a conference table and decide whether or not heart failure was the cause of the shortness of breath. Um, and then to actually analyze the index tests, or at least ultrasound as the index test, they had to blind the reviewers, the people doing the adjudication, to the point-of-care ultrasound findings. That way there was no con um, confounding bias. Uh, the other thing to always consider when looking at these meta-analyses is the heterogeneity. And we've talked about this before, but in ultrasound studies, there sure is a lot of ways where these studies can be different, whether it be the experience of the providers doing the ultrasound, the training they received, the way in which they made their ultrasound protocol, 
or just other factors about the population being involved. And specifically, they mentioned that there was some heterogeneity, there was some bias in these studies. Uh, they mentioned some of them excluded people with known causes of dyspnea, whereas other studies kind of took all comers with, with any type of dyspnea. So just to do a mini summary of this systematic review, this was a really well done meta-analysis and systematic review of every type of diagnostic for acute heart failure in the emergency department. And the findings specific to point-of-care ultrasound were that lung ultrasound looking at B-lines seemed to be fairly accurate. Positive likelihood ratio 7.4, negative likelihood ratio 0.16, whereas looking at the EF or the LV systolic function was a little bit less accurate in both of those ways. So positive likelihood ratio 4.1, negative 0.26. And these factors seem to be more accurate than a lot of the historical or serum-based diagnostic strategies. So this would support using point-of-care ultrasound in the diagnosis of acute heart failure in the emergency department. Well, there's going to be a lot more reviews like this on the evidence atlas. So this was kind of an example and a taste of all the hard work that these guys did putting this together online for your edification and for your bedside learning so you can use this next time you see a patient and you want to use point-of-care ultrasound and you're wondering what the evidence is. I wanted to just give a big shout out and thanks to Matt and Mike for putting this resource together as well as everyone else on their team who put in the hard work of making this happen. So again, you can find out more by going to thepocusatlas.com and from there you can also find the evidence atlas which has all of the evidence that they compiled under the application of point of care ultrasound. Well, thanks again for joining us on this special edition of the Ultrasound Gel podcast. You can always find out more by going to ultrasoundgel.org. Feel free to leave comments regarding this show under the show notes there. And until next time, we will talk to you later. More. 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 More.